Today is a banner day because we are coming to the end of the book of Acts. The end of the book of Acts. And you know, Acts ends in a very interesting way. The question will be for us, wow, in a couple of weeks, what will we be? Is there anything left to teach on? <laughs> I'm a little lightheaded. I don't know what the deal is. No, I'm just joking. Okay. So, I, what we want to uh, look at is actually the end of... Uh, uh, the end of chapter 28, mostly, and talk about the ending, about how it ends. I, because I, much misunderstanding has taken place about how the book of Acts ends. And my guess is, is that for most of us, unless we're reading through the Bible all the way through, we don't really think about how the book of Acts ends. I, but it is very important, uh, it, it's very important for us to understand how it ends. First of all, where we left off last time was at the end of chapter 27. And um, uh, it, that is the journey. Remember, that is the journey to Rome. It's the journey to Rome. Chapter 28 actually is a continuation of that journey. The first 16 verses of chapter 28 is Paul getting to Rome. Uh, and, uh, and so... Uh, what we read here is uh, that they stop off at Malta, they, they, the island of Malta, and then Paul is attacked by a snake, a viper, right? Uh, but that he, uh, you know, uh, he's healed uh, uh, from it. Uh, and of course, this becomes a, quite a, makes quite a stir in, in Malta. First, they thought maybe this man was going to be judged but then uh, they want to make him into a god because he's, you know, because he's healed. And then we read um, uh, also, uh, and, you know, as he uh, uh, continues, I, we just want to just say, you can read it on your own, um, that um, uh, Paul then heals, heals a man, right? Uh, and then he gets to Rome. So we see like some miracles take place as he approaches Rome and then he gets to Rome. And of course, much of the second half of Acts is Paul getting to Rome, right? So you'd think that when he gets to Rome, okay, what a great ending. Now, if I was going to end, if I was Luke and I was writing the book of Acts, I would end it with a great speech before Caesar. After all, he has uh, spoken to, he's given speeches all the way through his, um, from the time he gets arrested, you know, around chapter 21, all the way through. He's speaking to the Jewish leadership. Uh, he, spe he speaks to a series of Roman magistrates and leaders, gives these great speeches that we've talked about. Uh, and, and we read that, that his destiny is Rome and nothing will keep him from getting to Rome, because this is where he uh, is going to talk to Caesar. Okay, So here he gets to Rome, and we don't read anything about him speaking to Caesar. It doesn't even come up. Okay, uh, We don't read uh, uh, about some kind of major um, speech that he gives to the believers at Rome. You'd think that he would do that. I, you know, he doesn't uh, do one of those Act 17 kind of speeches, you know, in the public in the public square, speaking to all of Rome. That would make such great sense because 
This would show, you know, beginning in Judea, uh, Samaria, and then to the remotest part of the earth and getting to the, at that time, the capital of the world, Rome. But we don't read any of that. And so the question then becomes, well, what is, what is Luke doing at the end of the book of Acts? And so let's read, beginning in verse, uh, we could say actually, uh, verse 14. Okay. So in verse 14 of Acts 28, it says, There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Evidently, you know, these are uh, Messiah followers uh, that, uh, that he stays with here. Which is kind of interesting because, you remember, he's still under arrest. <laughs> but evidently, he had, as we'll see, he has a soldier, he's chained to somebody. But he has a lot of freedom, a lot of freedom. Of course, he was a Roman citizen. Uh, and they couldn't actually put their finger on anything to uh, accuse him of, others, other than intra-Jewish kind of issues. So he seems to have a lot of leeway. It's kind of interesting. And then it says, and, uh, and when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who was guarding him. So there you go. And it happened after three days, he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came, and when they had come together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me uh, to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against, uh, my, uh, against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. So uh, Paul does when he arrives in Rome what he uh, does in most of the places. Uh, you know, he speaks to, Jew to Jewish people, right? Speaks to Jewish people. And so uh, here uh, he is uh, in Rome and the leaders of the Jewish community uh, come and visit him. And he tells them basically a little tiny synopsis of what he has said in all the previous speeches. That he's Jewish, you know, obviously he's Jewish. Uh, you know, he's here and in chains because of the hope of Israel. Uh, the, uh, the irony is, is that uh, the leadership, the Sadducees especially, the high priest and so on, uh, have uh, uh, made accusations against him and interestingly enough, the irony is, is that the Romans are kind of like protecting him, <laughs> you know, uh, as he comes here uh, uh, to, uh, to, to Rome. And so he is kind of introducing himself uh, uh, to them. Uh, and when he says the hope of Israel, they all know what that means. 
The hope of Israel is the coming of King Messiah, uh, the resurrection, uh, new life, the circumcision of the heart, the new covenant uh, being uh, inaugurated, and all of that, right? Uh, and, uh, and so this is uh, why, he, uh, why he is under arrest. That is why he is there. And so he tells them, so he tells them this, okay? Now, what's interesting uh, here, his initial, his initial uh, conversation with them is not a preaching of the good news. It's sort of an introduction of who he is and why he is, uh, why he is there. All right. Uh, and now, uh, their response is, wow, we, we, we were not aware of you. We heard about, we heard about this uh, group. But we were not aware of you. This is kind of interesting. Verse 21, And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you. In other words, no one from Judea uh, wrote to them to warn them uh, about, uh, about Paul. Nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. No one has said anything about you. But... We desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So, again, uh, we see in the book of Acts, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The sect means that, that they're saying, this is an intra-Jewish issue, okay? It's not saying anything about, you know, Christians or those from Antioch or, uh, you know... And anywhere like that. But uh, in the Jewish world, we've heard about you. The way or the Nazareans. The way or the Nazareans. That's basically what they were, what they were known as. Uh, and, we've, and we know, we don't know exactly what it is, but we know that people are speaking very badly about it. And that certainly is how it is, you know? Oh, you're, you're one of those Messianic Jews. Oh, what do you know about it? Nothing. You know? Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's kind of how it is here. This is what they've heard is, this, this, way, this is a very controversial, probably the best way to say it, but that's what they're trying to say. This controversial sect. Tell us about it. Because certainly one of the things in that day, because they yet did not have uh, any form of um, uh, entertainment that can be piped in. Like, you know, imagine it, someone giving this message 100 years ago. What? Yeah, 100 years ago, would say they had no radio. 50 years ago, it would say they had no radio or television. Now we would say they had no radio, television, social media, or anything, uh, or anything like that, right? And so their entertainment... Just like in Acts, just like in Acts 17 at, at uh, you know, at Athens. The entertainment was hearing different new things, you know? And isn't that so true today also? Something new? All right, right? Uh, and, uh, and so they wanted to hear about it, right? So in verse 23, it says, And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying 
about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Yeshua from both the Torah of Moses and from the prophets morning until evening. And so what we see as the book of Acts is winding down, that Paul again is speaking to a group of Jewish people, persuading them uh, about the uh, about the Messiah. And this is something that we see weaved all the way through the book of Acts. And it's interesting because when you count up all the speeches and acts, almost probably about three quarters of them by anybody who's giving this speech, whoever it is, Peter, Paul, John, Stephen, that about three quarters of them are to Jewish audiences. The traditional understanding of Acts is sort of like the end of the Jewish mission and the you know and then that sort of gets jettisoned uh, and then it's all you know it's exclusively reaching uh, uh, Gentiles until the end but that is not the case it is very interesting that the last speech of the book of Acts is Paul speaking again to Israel and it's also interesting there's some observations we could make here I uh, will see it at the very end this may be a two-parter not sure Okay, in Acts 1, notice what it says in verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering, after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So the book of Acts begins with explaining the kingdom of God. The book of Acts ends, even if you go down to the very last verse, preaching the kingdom of God. Uh, and then, but here I'm, I'm speaking of it in verse 23, testifying about the kingdom of God. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. Um, not that we need to turn there, but if you go back to the beginning of the Gospels, uh, including the book of Luke, what is the first words that we read out of the mouth of Yohanan, of John the Immerser? The first words out of the mouth of Yeshua, repent, for he refers to it there as the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand from the beginning to the end. And what is significant is that the end of Acts is the end of the historical part. Because after Acts, when you look at all of the rest of the New Covenant Scriptures, it's a, there are a series of letters written by se several different people for a number of different reasons. But at the end of uh, Acts, we kind of have the end of the, the gospel story, one might, one might say, story as in the historical, you know, story uh, of it, okay? You have something else also, by the way, uh, and that is uh, in verse 6 uh, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, it says, and so... When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs by which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. 
And so the question is, now are you going to restore? I mean, you've done it. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because we know that's what the Messiah does. I mean, everybody knows that, right? And so now that the death has happened, the resurrection has happened, the ascent, you know, I, uh, well, the ascension at that point had not yet happened. It's almost happened. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, the same question that everybody asked. When is there going to be peace in the world? You know, when, when is all those messy, when is that messianic age, you know, uh, going to happen? And Yeshua does not say it's not going to happen. If you remember years ago when we were back in Acts chapter 1, right? That I, uh, uh, we, we talked about it there. He doesn't say that it's not going to happen. He says, you don't know when it's going to happen, but in the meantime, you are called to be uh, my witnesses. Okay? You are called to be my, uh, my witnesses. And the way Acts unfolds, you do have Judea, Samaria, the Hellenistic uh, Jews, and the beginning of the Gentile mission. But there's no such thing as like the exclusive Gentile mission. There's no such thing as the end of the Jewish mission and then the beginning of the Gentile mission from here on out until the very end. Okay? No. You see the, you see that basically what's taking place in Acts is that there are two missions. There's the mission to the Jews and the mission to the Gentiles. Okay? Uh, and of course, uh, that does not mean that there are two messages about Yeshua, but there are definitely two perspectives of the mission uh, of bringing the good news to Jews and Gentiles. With Jews, it's basically return. With Gentiles, it's, hey, let me tell you about the God of Israel. And so there's just two ways of presenting the message to Jews and Gentiles, something we have lost, frankly, uh, much of in, in our world. Now, that goes back to the beginning of the book of Luke. And remember, 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 remember that Luke is volume one and Acts is volume two. All right. So back at the beginning of Luke, which is very interesting because Luke contains material different than uh, Matthew uh, and Mark, some, some, and John for sure, right? So the beginning of Luke, okay, which we don't, we're not going to go through the beginning of, 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 of Luke, but uh, basically uh, what we are seeing uh, at the beginning of Luke is an explanation to Miriam about who this child is that uh, is in her womb. And he is presented as the king of Israel. In verse 30 of chapter 1, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Yeshua. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And then we read the song of uh, the song of uh, of uh, Mary, song of Miriam, right? Uh, if you read down in verse uh, fifty-four, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham uh, and his offspring forever. The the hope of Israel, 
He is the hope of Israel, just like what Paul says at the very end of the book of Acts. The beginning of Luke, the end of Acts. Yeshua, the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel. Uh, and then, of course, at the end of chapter 1, you have Zacharias's John the Immerser, John the Baptist's father. Uh, he has this uh, great word, which basically speaks about the coming of the Messiah. And if you, uh, if you took out from verse 67 to 79 out of this text, and you just cut and pasted it uh, on a piece of paper, and you showed it to uh, any Jewish person, who uh, is, you know is you know a religious Jewish person looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and and he, you, they read those words and say, oh that's about the coming of the Messiah. This is the hope of Israel. This is the hope of Israel, the one who delivers us uh, from our enemies and so on and so forth. Right? This is the hope of Israel. That is why in Acts chapter one they say, now are you going to restore the kingdom? Because that's what that's what the hope of Israel uh, that's what the hope of Israel is. Uh, and so you, you see this. Now, in chapter 2 of Luke, if you go, we're just going to jump down here uh, to uh, verse uh, 25. Okay, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, the hope of Israel, basically. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Yeshua to carry out for him the custom of the law, the custom of the Torah, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you, uh, thou dost let thy bondservant depart. In peace, according to thy word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, not just Jews, all peoples. Okay, A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Okay, The passage, by the way, goes on to say, and his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now that is actually a very important statement. I can already tell this is a two-part, okay? Uh, because I was just going to say like two, two sentences about Luke. Okay, uh, and so notice several different things about this passage. Again, at the beginning of Luke, and then what we'll see at the end of Acts. Okay, first of all, that he is the hope of Israel, that the Messiah is the hope of Israel. He's the, the consolation of Israel, Okay. Uh, and uh, he is called God's salvation. He is called God's salvation. Because that's what Yeshua means. But he's called he, this one, just as it says in other places, he is our peace, right? He is our deliverance. He's not just preaching deliverance. He doesn't just, Yeshua doesn't just give a message. Yeshua is the message. Got it? Okay. Now he says, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
Jews and Gentiles, all of humanity, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. The first thing that he says, now, you know, having said all, everything we just said about Acts 1 up to this place in, Act, in um, uh, Luke 1, all the way to this place in Luke 2, you would think that a light of revelation to the Gentiles would be kind of like, you know, oh, and by the way, uh, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. But no, Shimon, this Jewish elderly man in the temple looking for the Messiah of Israel, realizes that this child is indeed the one, and he says, he, he, you know, that God has, um, uh, which God has prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And of course, that comes really from Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49, right? When we read uh, these uh, famous verses uh, here in verse 6 of Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isn't it interesting that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth? Uh, and here in uh, Luke uh, chapter 2, uh, he refers to Yeshua as God's salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, or you know the ends of the earth, I suppose, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of Israel, and the Messiah of our people. The Messiah of our people, right? Uh, and then he says, so we want to recognize that, that May I suggest that this speaks about two missions. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, the King of Israel, the Messiah of Israel, right? Okay? Uh, and, uh, and then we read, very, uh, very importantly here, that he's appointed, in verse 34, he's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. So right here, right at the get-go, Shimon understands that, that uh, this, uh, this child who he's holding in his arms, who is God's salvation, yes, is going to be a light of revelation to the nations, and, he's the, and the glory of Israel, but that there's going to be opposition that there's going to be opposition. And clearly, when you read through all of the gospel accounts, clearly there's opposition to Yeshua to the point where he dies, right? And of course, he overcomes that. And of course, this was all part of the plan of God from the, uh, from the beginning, right? So now when you come now back to the end of, uh, the end of Acts, it should not come as a surprise to us uh, that first he's testifying about the kingdom of God and persuading them from the Torah uh, and the prophets. And certainly that was the, that was the Bible, right? Uh, and we know that the coming of the Messiah is rooted in the Torah and certainly rooted in the prophets uh, and the, the, the hope of Israel, the one promised to Israel. And we read that back in Acts chapter 2 and in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 and in chapter 7 and in chapter 13 and in chapter 22, 23, 24, and 25, and 26. 
in all of those speeches, you can go back and read it, <laughs> okay? Pointing to lots of verses, lots of passages, pointing the Jewish people and even those Roman magistrates that this is not just somebody who walked off the bus, uh, you know? That this is the promised Messiah of Israel. This is indeed the hope of Israel, right? But notice what it says. It says in verse 24, and some were being persuaded by the things spoken, others would not believe. And that is what we see uh, all the way uh, through. In fact, the first half of verse 25 says, and when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken a one parting word. Okay, and we'll talk about that one parting word in a little while. Okay, but notice they're not in agreement. And so now I, uh, they leave, and now Paul, here we might say this is the third of three times where Paul makes a speech to Jewish people and as, as a group, as a group, not, not uh, uh, individually, okay? Three different times uh, he speaks to Jewish people, and at the end... You know, there's, uh, uh, we'll just say, unhappiness. And then he makes a statement about turning to the Gentiles each time. Right? The first one is in Acts chapter 13. In Acts 13, we read in verse uh, 44. Okay. And the next Shabbat, nearly the whole city uh, assembled to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning uh, to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have sent you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Right from Isaiah 49. So there you see it there. But we already know that in chapter 14, uh, you know, he goes to a synagogue of the Jews, right? So when he says, I'm turning, we're, we're, you know, I'm turning to the Gentiles, it doesn't mean I'm turning my back on you, okay? Then in Acts chapter 18, in Acts chapter 18, in verses uh, 5 and 6, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Yeshua was the Messiah. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garment and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, for now I shall go to the Gentiles. So he does it again. Okay. Now in Acts chapter 28, he, we don't read the speech, but we read that he is testifying to the Jewish people in Rome, to a large contingent, of a large group of the Jewish people in Rome, that Yeshua is the Messiah, the kingdom of God, and so on and so forth, right? And some believed, uh, others, uh, others do not. And then Paul says this at the end of verse uh, 25 and then 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father saying, go to this people and say, 
You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return that I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Okay. By the way, notice it doesn't just say they will listen. It says they will also listen. Okay? But you can't escape seeing what Luke is doing. At the end of Acts, we see that Paul uh, says these words that are in, that were in our Haftorah portion today, right? You have the calling of Isaiah. Wow, we fantastic the calling of Isaiah, but a quite an interesting calling that Isaiah has. You know, kind of like Paul <laughs> in in a, in a way, right? And so he quotes this passage from Isaiah uh, chapter six. Uh, and so it becomes, and he says, the Gentiles will also listen. And so it becomes, as it were, the third of three times when Paul is, uh, you know, speaking to the Jewish people. Rejection, turning to the Gentiles. Speaking to the Jewish people as a community. Rejection, turning to the Gentiles. The third time at the end of Acts, rejection of the message, right? Turning uh, to the Gentiles. Now, Yeshua, this passage in Isaiah chapter 6, this is not the first time that we're reading this. Yeshua, you can read it for yourself, in Matthew chapter 13 and in the corresponding passages in, I believe, Luke and Mark, uh, you read that Yeshua spoke in parables, at, well, okay, in, in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we read in verse 13, 13, 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You, sh you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. So Yeshua says the same thing, recognizing that, you know, a, the gospel, is this message is going to be rejected. And that has a lot to do with those parables. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, that this message is going to be uh, re rejected. And so we know that. And so what I would suggest to us is, why does Yeshua quote that passage? Why does Paul quote this passage here? And then as we will see, in, in Romans 11, he quotes a portion of it again. Okay, Why? Because when Yeshua came, Israel was suffering from an illness. And the rejection of the Messiah is the great symptom of the illness. The illness was rebellion. The illness is why the people went into captivity in the first place. 
why the prophets had to preach what they preached. Why did Isaiah have to preach what he preached? Why did Jeremiah have to preach? Why did Hosea? Why did Nahum? Why did Micah? Why did Amos have to give all those harsh words? Because the people of Israel continually lived in rebellion. Uh, and continually, even, even returning to the land after the, uh, you know, back from the 70 years of Babylonian captivity, remember that the majority of people stayed in Babylon. And remember that even in Yeshua's day, the majority of people did not live in Eretz Israel. Israel was then and is now still in an exile. And the great symptom of the exile is the rejection of God's Messiah, of the Messiah of Israel. Now, what we do know is that there was a, certainly a remnant of Jewish people who did receive the message, just like in the prophets. Just like in the prophets, there was a remnant who received the message. The vast majority did not receive the message. Then and and now. And what Luke is explaining to us is that that continues. It continues at the end of Acts and it continues to this day. And that's why, you know, we might say at the beginning of uh, Acts, in Acts 1-6, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the, the main answer is, God knows we don't know, Right? And when we come to the end of the book of Acts, that is still, uh, you know, indeed the case. And so we read here uh, about, uh, you know, the, the, the communal rejection, one might say, of Israel. And when Paul sees the communal rejection, each time the communal rejection that he receives from Israel, time to go to the Gentiles, right? Communal rejection, time to go to the Gentiles. But the thing is, is that he never stops bringing the message to Israel. But what we see uh, is this, uh, you know, is this uh, rejection. Now, sadly, because the book of Acts kind of ends this way, we'll, we will see how it actually ends next time. But because you have these verses here, many have come to the conclusion, you see, this is the end. This is why Israel is no longer the chosen people. That this is the end, you know, uh, and that uh, now at the end of Acts, the message is to the Gentiles. Now, maybe at the end, it'll go back to the Jews or something, but the message is now to the Gentiles. All right. But what we have seen in the book of Acts is that the, the fact is, is that there was this intertwining of bringing the message to Israel uh, and the rejection of it by the vast majority, yet a remnant believes, and then the turning to the Gentiles. And the, the reality is, is that this model conti continues and has continued. And what was the result of this communal rejection of the Messiah according to Yeshua? Uh, and according to the prophets of Israel, is chastisement, is exile. And so what happened very close to this period of time is the end of Judea, the destruction of the temple. 
the continuation of exile, a great difficulty of the Jewish people. Now, this was prophesied by Yeshua in Matthew chapter 23. At the end of those woes unto you, scribes and Pharisees, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, at the very end, we all know at the end of it, Yeshua laments. This was not like he's happy, like he's, you know, how sometimes, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who uh, are preaching away, it's almost like some kind of glee in pronouncing judgment, you, 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 you know. Uh, but Yeshua is lamenting. And what does he say at the end of Matthew 23? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, this is the part we don't often pay attention to. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. It's not just, oh, you broke my heart. Like you hurt my feelings by not believing in me. Your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now I have a, a book here. This is very interesting. You know the book that we're reading on Sunday nights, Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem Risen, right? Uh, and of course, you know, some of what I just said actually has a great little section on the end of the book of Acts uh, right in this book. But before there was Jerusalem crucified, Jerusalem risen, there was the death and resurrection of Israel uh, by Arthur Keck. Anybody ever hear of these two books? Marcy has because, he, you know, if, if you're a Messianic Jew and you go back to the 1970s and 80s, you remember these books, right? Uh, they're way out of print. He has long, long gone with the Lord. But basically, uh, it's kind of, uh, kind of humorous, and I'm going to have to end. I'm going to have to end before... Oh, well, just think of it as I'm, I'm pausing right in the middle. There's no like ending to this message. I'm just going to stop. OK, but I'm just going to show you this. And this is where we'll we'll uh, continue uh, on. So in the preface of, of volume one, which is called the death and resurrection of Israel, uh, he quotes here this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 23. And then he also quotes. Uh, this uh, in Luke 19 he quotes this and when he approached he saw the city and wept over it saying if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace but now they have been hidden from your eyes for the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Okay, uh, And there are several other passages. And then he's, the beginning of the book is about the, uh, he calls it the death of Israel. The, uh, you know, the, the end of the second temple period and all the subsequent, the subsequent times of great difficulty. What's very interesting, <laughs> of these two volumes, you would think, Oh, this would be about all that, you know, this would be the death of Israel. This would be the resurrection of Israel. Not really, because you know where his heart is. So the first 24 pages 
is about all the great difficulties. From page 27 to 236, and then the rest of the second volume, is all about the, is all about the resurrection of Israel. Uh, this one is very interesting because it talks about the history of the modern state of Israel. But uh, it is, uh, uh, the, the point is, even though it's only, he only has 24 pages on it, it is a very significant history that still continues even with a modern state of Israel, of Israel being in exile and suffering the, pang, the birth pangs, you know? Uh, and it continues uh, indeed to this day. Okay, so I'm just going to end with this so that there's a, a word of hope here. Okay, but you know, Acts <clears throat> does not really end with this is the end of Israel's call because earlier on we know from Acts chapter 3, we read in verse 19 this message to Israel, Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Yeshua the Messiah appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. And so he's saying, repent so that the end can come. Repent so the end can come. Israel remains the covenant people even in exile. Israel does not cease being the covenant people. In fact, it is because Israel, this is where we'll stop, because Israel, because Israel is the covenant people, that's why there is exile. Because Israel is the covenant people, that is why God holds Israel's feet to the fire, so to speak. Because Israel is the covenant people, God chastens who? Those whom he loves. Uh, and so I guess at the end of this first part of this, what we want to remember, because we will be looking at lots of other passages in two weeks, uh, and that is, may we be motivated, therefore, to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, may, which means the return of the Lord, by the way. Uh, may we be praying uh, that um, Israel recognizes the Messiah. Uh, and may we be uh, concerned, you know, about those matters and recognize the centrality of the covenant people even to this day, right? And so next week we'll continue with this and understand more of what the scripture says about the ramifications of this what it means about going to the Gentiles, and then understanding and unpacking the last two verses uh, in uh, the book of, uh, of Acts. Uh, but may we rejoice that God is indeed faithful, uh, and, uh, and we see in the book of Acts, yes, this intertwining of constantly bringing the message to Israel, but recognizing uh, but recognizing uh, the, uh, the call to the nations. And isn't it interesting that it's always as a result of corporate rejection of the good news that attentions get turned to the nations. And, uh, and that's something always for us to remember. Okay, part two in two weeks. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you that for your faithful calling of Israel. Lord, thank you that 
In our Torah portion, Israel is called to be a nation of priests. And we know that our people have failed miserably so much in this calling. But yet you do not reject the calling, Lord, and you continually chasten. But as as you cried out from your heart through the prophet Hosea, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I give you up, Israel? And so, God, we thank you that you do not give up. You do not give up on anybody. You do not give up on humanity and on this world. May we remember that. And uh, God, we thank you that for us who are here today and uh, and uh, participating you know, on Zoom or YouTube watching today, thank you that you have indeed opened up some blind eyes and you have unstopped some ears. And thank you, Lord, that we have embraced you and can partake of Yeshua the Messiah and can be part of the beginnings of this kingdom, Lord. And so, God, we thank you, God, for the great privilege of knowing you. And we pray, God, we intercede on behalf of our people Israel and this dark world, Lord, for your mercy, your grace, that you would indeed open up blind eyes and unstop deaf ears, Lord, and may Yeshua return soon. We pray in Messiah's name.